0: I am a hoarder and I will accumulate mass wherever I can get it. I'm looking at flea markets. I'm looking at yard sales always. I'm looking at, uh, yeah, piles of trash on the side of the road. everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Reenactor's Corner. This is Chris here again with Ben. How are you doing today, Ben?
1: Great, Chris. Great to be here.
0: So for today's episode, we're going to be talking about antique stores and what you can find in there that you can use for reenactment. Um, just from the outset, I'm really not talking here about like... Uh, your uniform items, basic field gear items and stuff, that stuff is very unlikely to be found in an antique store. If you find that stuff at an antique store, it may well be original stuff from the war and probably shouldn't be used. But there is a lot of different categories of things that you can find in antique stores that you can use for reenactment.
1: I agree on that. Um, Yeah, I feel like Mostly, this falls into the realm of uh, personal effects. Uh, you can find some original stuff, uh, which is, you know, usable. Like, to to give example, just to jump right into it, I remember I found a German Army belt buckle that had been painted a different color post war, and I was able to strip the post war paint and refurbish it so that it was usable for reenacting, which I thought was cool, and it cost like. Twenty five dollars or something cheap, you know. So, yeah, I, I that that was awesome.
0: Yeah, that's like the, you know, the price of a reproduction item you can get. In this case, an original item that the collectability of this thing was affected by the fact that it had been post war repainted, and you were basically able to restore it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not inconceivable that you'd be able to find maybe a repainted helmet in a situation like that, or or some other similar restorable thing that could be a candidate for reenactment use. In
1: my experience, finding restorable helmets at antique shops is like don't count on it. I mean, you might find something, but I mean, say you do find a helmet that has like post-war black paint on it, it might be five hundred dollars. Like, people really don't know what this stuff is worth. And if they think it's some sort of like rare Nazi item, they might, that they might ask a lot of money for which it is not worth.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a, a topic, a whole other topic on its own that we don't really have to get into today. I mean, I have bought a lot of very fine, rare, very desirable original items at antique stores for my collection, sometimes at very cheap prices, but more often I see things that are, uh, to put it simply, they are fake things that are being offered for above what you would expect to pay for a real thing, so... yeah. Um, You know, antique stores are not, like, a primary vector for me for collectible items, but they are a primary vector for me for, like, what you said, Ben, like, personal kit items. I mean,
1: I feel like you can get some awesome, uh, like, cigar cases, uh, or, sorry, cigarette cases, um, just, like, little little pocketable things like maybe like an antique wallet or if you're trying to do some sort of an old old timey civilian impression I got like a cool uh, like flat cap at an antique shop recently which sort of was was of a style that I've seen being worn by Soviet peasants in the 1930s and 40s so yeah there's there's definitely stuff out there.
0: We were at an antique store recently, Ben, and you bought a, uh, a vintage suitcase.
1: Yeah, and it's like it is something that you do see in period photos from time to time of uh, German soldiers using civilian suitcases. It was a, it was about the right size. It was kind of beat up, but that's a, that doesn't really bother me because I would like to maybe tidy this thing up a little bit, and uh, I think it's an excellent restoration candidate.
0: There are a lot of items that I use for reenacting that I have bought at antique stores that are parts of my personal kit. One thing that I'm always looking for when I go to antique stores is old razors. Um, Gillette was the innovator of the safety razor around the turn of the last century, and you can find Gillette razors here in the USA at antique stores. Those same razors were exported all over the world and were used in Germany and by German soldiers as well. Um, and, of course, there is there are other types of razors that you can find. Sometimes you might find a razor that has no brand name on it at all, totally generic. You could even find German razors sometimes here in the USA uh, because they were exported or made their way here. Who knows why? Um, But not just the razors, but various stuff that goes with them, like um, the cases for razors, shaving kits, tins for shaving soap or for shaving brushes, um, little metal cases that held... Uh, new or used safety razor blades. These are all things that could be part of somebody's personal hygiene kit that could be found uh, often for very cheap prices at at places like antique stores.
1: Totally. The other thing too is uh, little items you can use for set dressing that can go on, into the background. You know, like uh, cookware. Um, you can you could pick up civilian cookware that soldiers may have used, or lanterns, or I. Eye- Picked up some candlesticks from antique stores, which uh, – and, um, yeah, just – also, Chris, I mean, I know you've had a lot of success over the years uh, getting, like, office supplies, period office supplies from antique stores, you know, ink wells and such, right?
0: Yeah, a lot of the stuff that I use for my desk setup is uh, from antique stores. I'm always looking at fountain pens, dip pens, and parts for dip pens. Uh, inkwells, any kind of old ink bottle, uh, any kind of desk accessories like um, stands for rubber stamps or blotters. I even have bought a lot of old paper, um, sometimes in the form of boxes of old typing paper, but also old notebooks that I've been able to use, you know, cut the paper out and use it. Um, I've even found old envelopes. I've found handles for rubber stamps, old um, metal or in some cases bakelite stamp pads sometimes uh, you can just take off the existing label or or paint a metal tin black and put a new label on it if you want to get creative about it a lot of that stuff like you say it kind of uh, blends into the background so if you have some reproduction or maybe some original actual world war ii actual german stuff and then can complement that with an array of kind of generic old-timey objects, it really creates a, a very believable overall look to me.
1: I mean, I've been on a real kick uh, buying antique lamps of late, but, uh, you know, you can you can get all kinds of, like, an- I, I, Chris, didn't you pick up some, like, antique desk lamps at an uh, antique store?
0: I've gotten very many of them, and, um, like, for example, at... Uh, what we do sometimes now at events at Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia, where we set up a sort of a headquarters or office impression where there will be uh, different workstations. I'll bring enough antique desk lamps to illuminate each of those workstations. All of those things or very nearly all of them. I got at antique stores. And these are uh, simple desk lamps from the early decades of the 20th century. They look great. Um, in the world war ii setting uh i've i've looked a little bit on sites like etsy and ebay for these things but the shipping cost alone for some of these things makes them too expensive whereas if i can find something like that locally um and maybe get it for a cheap price it's uh, it's kind of a no-brainer you know
1: chris just out of curiosity these are not really so necessary because most of the events we do now are in the Cooler months, but have you ever considered or purchased an antique fan at an antique store?
0: I I had an antique fan at one time, but uh, to be honest, Ben, I don't actually see a lot of these in mm. uh, wartime photos. Also, most of the fans that I see, <clears throat> they have uh, emblems on the front or something. They're they're kind of like. Uh, very obviously branded or something. Sure. Whereas a lot of the desks, there, a lot of the desk lamps, rather, that I've bought, there's no maker mark sure. or maker emblem anywhere on these things, and they could just as easily be uh, European as American. You know. That makes sense.
1: Um, something else that actually just popped into my mind is uh, shoe lasts um, that a cobbler might use. I, I, I saw a lot of those at some of the antique stores we went to of recent, Chris.
0: Sure, I bought one a long time ago for twenty five dollars <laughs> that has like a removable um, shoe part uh, or like a, a removable last on a on a cast iron stand, and I have made great use of that thing over the years, installing hobnails on my boots and um, installing hobnails on boots from for some other people in uh, my reenactment groups that I've been a part of. You really kind of need a last like that. You can't just take a, a boot and put it in your lap and nail hobnails into it. They will fall out. You need a hard sort of an anvil-like surface that you are hammering against. And ideally, it will actually sort of uh, peen the tip of the hobnail in such a way that uh, it's, it's very difficult to remove. You can really only get something like that with a steel last. And like you say, these are things that are commonly available at antique stores there's not a lot of uh value because there's not a lot of desire for these things as decorative objects and you can pick them up cheap
1: yeah i mean i think i i I still have yet to get one but i feel like i saw some going for like 30 bucks what about those antique saws dude um like uh the the old what you call it like a bow saw it's got like a frame i've definitely seen those at antique shops and I think we used to have one for the longest time until, like, it broke, right?
0: It did not break. We still have it. It's uh, It has maybe gotten dull, and uh, I'm not sure exactly where it is right now, to be honest. I think somebody took it to have it sharpened, and maybe I never heard from them again or something. But, um, <laughs> well, look, uh, this is an area where there's some some nuance here because, believe it or not, this, this is an area where research shows that there was a difference between the period uh, Central European form of this saw and the form of the saw that was in use in America at that time. And mm. The difference is uh, I could just generally describe that on a wooden bandsaw that is made in North America... The, the two upright parts, the part that you hold on to, and then the other upright at the front of the saw, they angle towards each other. It's like a trapezoid, right? Yes. Whereas uh, if you look at uh, World War II photographs from uh, Wehrmacht soldiers, or even if you just go on like German eBay and look at old saws, those two uprights are usually uh, parallel and not mm. slanted towards each other. But Um, there are forms of saw that were used, uh, simple wood saws that were used in Germany in the middle of the 20th century that were also used in the United States. And yeah, I mean, like, look, old tools is a great category to look at because, um,
1: Axes, um, you know, you can, like a, like a pick.
0: Well, I w- I'm thinking even like uh, screwdrivers, for example. Mm. You know, that can be very helpful if um, you're in a reenactment group. If somebody has an issue with their rifle, you know, if somebody has a, a screwdriver nearby that can, um, you know, disassemble the the rifle, take it out of the stock if needed. Um, you know, even just simple uh, wrenches. And basically basic hand tools can be absolutely surprisingly useful in many different ways in a reenactment setting. And you don't want to be pulling out a plastic handled, you know, modern tool. You don't want to have a, uh, an axe with, or a hatchet with like a plastic or resin handle. And so there is a, basically an infinite supply at antique stores of old tools that can be totally invaluable Uh, aspects for a weekend reenactment sure and some may need some
1: degree of restoration but i feel like most are usable right as you purchase them maybe just they have a little bit of a cobweb on them you know
0: (laughs) even the stuff that might need some restoration you could even buy to some extent restoration supplies at the antique store you could buy an old sharpening stone that is still usable you know um, and that you could even take this thing to a reenactment and do maintenance on your tools in the field if you had to
1: Two points. First of all, Chris, I feel like you said earlier that you don't normally see reproduction items at antique stores. I feel like I actually have run across um, like Sturm uh, jackets at antique stores in the past. Not like often not all the time but you know from time to time i feel like maybe that's more of like a thrift shop or military surplus shop item but i feel like i have seen like a sturm parka at at an antique shop in the past
0: yeah it's not totally inconceivable i mean uh you would be very lucky to find an item like that that was in your size and also priced fairly Uh, it basically uh just generally speaking in my experience anything that is identified as being world war ii german is just usually uh, offered at a very high price at an antique shop
1: yeah you're not wrong about that
0: and uh You know, that's not to say maybe you could get lucky. And look, uh, they've been making reproduction World War II German uniforms in the United States for more than 20 years. As time goes on, as more and more of these things have been made and, of course, imported from uh, Asia and Europe and everything, there's more and more of this stuff around. So it does increase the likelihood of running into reproduction kit items in an antique store.
1: Granted, if you do GI, I mean, I feel like I've seen helmets sell, American M1 helmets selling for cheap enough at antique shops. Um, you can get bits of GI uniform for relatively cheap. You know, I feel like I picked up a like a 1944 dated stainless steel canteen in pristine condition for like 15 bucks of recent. So. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, um, you know, I don't do... Um... G.I. reenacting and uh, it almost would have been great to have someone who does G.I. reenacting on this episode because I can't imagine what going to an antique store must be like for them. I mean, first of all, I've seen absolute mountains of World War II American uniforms and gear at antique stores, some of it in very usable modern human sizes, I, if I was a GI reenactor, I wouldn't be looking to use uh, mint or, or good quality collectible field gear in the field, but I, I sometimes I don't collect that stuff, I don't use it for reenacting, but sometimes I see it at antique stores, and it's so cheap, I think about buying it just because it's cool. Sure. Sure. Well, on some level, I, I I regret. I saw like a mint unissued. I think it was a 1942 dated Haversack at an antique store, priced at twenty seven dollars, and I didn't buy it, and I kind of regret that because it's just a kind of an interesting historical object and a cool pack.
1: That's know? awesome, dude. That's really cool.
0: And and of course, we're talking you know here about well a saw. Um, you know the European version is different. Or I'm looking for stuff that's unbranded, that has no maker marks on it, that's generic. But for a world World War II American reenactor going to antique stores in America I mean there's tons and tons of uh, books and toiletries and you know writing gear and personal items and stuff and it could have big American maker logos on it and that's totally fine it's totally usable for that yeah in fact
1: it almost might be better in a sense right
0: yeah, yeah sure you know, I, I will say um, I'm not totally turned off by having the occasional personal item in my kit that has an Amer- a Made in the USA stamp or an American brand name on it because so much of that stuff really was exported all over the world. And there were a great many American companies. I mentioned Gillette, but there are many others that were household names in Germany and the Third Reich and all over the world.
1: I mean, I feel uh, like Coca-Cola is the famous example, but uh, yeah.
0: I mean, you know, thinking about it just like uh, coca Kodak cameras, uh, Underwood and Royal typewriters, Ford automobiles. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a tremendous list that you could make of of uh, American companies that were making products that were marketed toward the German domestic market in the 1930s. I know just the stuff that I'm interested in, like. Fountain pens, for example, you know, there these things were exported there by by Parker and and Waterman. You know, the the list goes on and on. Really,
1: that's awesome. That actually, you you mentioned uh, typewriters, Chris. How many of your typewriters have you purchased at antique shops versus well, the, other I, means?
0: the only typewriter that I have that I purchased at an antique shop is. An American typewriter with an English language keyboard that's not really usable for World War II German reenacting. I have never been fortunate enough to find a German keyboard typewriter at an antique store. I'm always looking, I look at, you know, I I love looking at typewriters at antique stores in general. You can get great deals if you're just a typewriter collector or if having an English language typewriter works for your project. I would say, you know, antique stores can be a great place to go. You'll see overpriced ones, sure, but you know, you'll see plenty of um, inexpensive ones too if you look hard enough. Um,
1: I feel like of recent uh, going to antique shops, I've seen mostly the, uh, the overpriced variety, if you will.
0: Yeah, I've, I've, well, you know, I've I've bought a lot of typewriters at antique stores that I've later sold or or found various like sort of new homes for or whatever. Um, but I I mean I've gotten typewriters for as little as twenty five dollars that, awesome, that are pre nineteen forty five vintage manual typewriters that that work great sure really there's, a, cool. there's definitely a lot of overpriced stuff out there but you've really kind of got a look you've got to sort of sort through I did want to circle back around you mentioned cookware that's something that I put in a category of like camp items and I find antique stores to be an absolutely invaluable source sure. for that sort of thing I every time I go to an antique store I'm looking at old pots and pans I'm looking at enamelware um I'm looking for iron frying pans, not cast iron, but like stamped sheet iron frying pans. Um, I've bought a lot of wash basins. I, I like to bring a wash basin to reenactments for use, uh, like field events. We use them for uh, washing up or shaving. Not like a if I'm going just for the day, but if I'm going to be out there for several days and I know that I'm going to have to shave, I do bring a wash basin. And all the wash basins that I have for reenactment came from antique stores.
1: Didn't you uh, use for the longest time some enameled things that you got off antique, store, antique,
0: antique stores? Yeah, I still do. Um, you know, I use a mixture of new-made cookware that is um, in sort of vintage styles, and I also use real antique stuff from antique stores. I'm always looking at uh, spoons and ladles, serving utensils. I'm looking at vegetable peelers, can openers, um I had made a post at one point on Facebook about this, but uh, last summer in Maine at an antique store, I found an aluminum ladle that kind of has a sort of a distinctive look. It has kind of a twist to the aluminum handle. And I think I bought this thing for $3.50. And later I found the exact same ladle, made the same, riveted together, same handle details, same measurements and everything in a German catalog from 1930. Do you believe that this is the same model? I, it is. It's definitely the same. And whether That's cool. whether um, it was made in Germany and exported here, or whether it was made here and exported to Germany and was available in a catalog for the German domestic market, I don't know. Um, but it's definitely the same ladle, and it's definitely plausible that this this model or style of ladle could have been in use in World War II Germany, like it definitely was. That's awesome, dude. That's really cool. Um, and just even, like, old rope and and spools for rope, um, you know, things like, to some extent, even, like, old cloth tarps, wool blankets are something that I'm always, oh, yeah. always looking at at an antique store, Um a lot of wool blankets are really kind of nondescript and generic looking, and you can get them for, uh, you know, you'll find them there that are priced at $100, but uh, look enough, and you can get some nice cream-colored wool blankets with stripes or gray wool blankets for maybe $25, you know, sure. very inexpensive amounts of money.
1: Sure. What about um, What about thread, dude? Weren't you using some, like, antique thread uh, uh, in the over the course of course the past few years well, that, that's
0: another category of things that I'm always looking at is I'm always looking at sewing supplies and we can look at that on like a bunch of levels like I buy um, packages of old sewing needles I can find sewing needles that are a hundred years old that are absolute top quality items for less than what it would cost to buy new needles and I use those sewing thread. Uh, If I go into a craft store right now or a sewing store and I look for heavy duty linen thread for sewing buttons it's not likely that i'm going to be able to find that i'm more likely to find something like that in an antique store in fact i've found tons and tons of that stuff at antique stores i use that for all the buttons that i sew on all of my uniforms i use it for salt bond repair sometimes when you find old thread it's it's rotten and not strong not good enough for use but there is a lot of old thread out there that you can find that is still very sturdy and very usable Another category of thread that I'm looking for is silk thread. Mm. That is something else that you're not really going to find usually at a craft store. But I find silk thread to be absolutely perfect for hand sewing of insignia. And... I have found silk thread in absolutely ideal colors and kind of the dark gray or even field gray or, or black uh, spectrum, you know, that uh, I use these things for different projects. And it, it's kind of fun to find a, a wooden spool of thread that's maybe uh, 75 or 100 years old and be able to use that thread um You know, I'm not talking here about like, you know, mint and original packaging, collectible stuff. I'm talking about stuff that's been kicking around in somebody's grandma's sewing box for decades. And it's time for this, you know, maybe nondescript object to go uh, be sold out of a a glass bucket at an antique store for a dollar. I'm like, I'm all over that stuff. That's awesome. And then as far as sewing goes, you know, I also am looking at sewing machines. At, oh, uh, yeah. Antique shops. And here again, like with typewriters, it's an area where um, sometimes the, the you might find overpriced stuff and then other times you might find stuff that's priced extremely reasonably.
1: You have uh, done a good job filling your house with uh, typewriters and sewing machines, Chris.
0: Well, you know, it's a big mansion. I got a lot of rooms. (laughs) I got a lot of space. I need to fill all that with something. So that's where all these obsolete machines come in. Very good. Very good. I wanted to add also while we were talking about the sewing thread, uh, darning yarn, Mm. especially uh, cotton darning yarn, also wool darning yarn for repairing my socks. I darn. I make darned repairs in all kinds of field gear and on my uniform, and I love to be able to use the vintage stuff. I can find modern, like darning wool um, as well, and there's some other sources, like if you can find um, certain, like European military surplus sewing kits that are available on the surplus market, will have good stuff for darning, but um, antique stores are like my primary source for that stuff.
1: Chris, do I even want to get you started on box cameras or cameras in general?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because, um, as the listeners may know, I enjoy taking reenactment photographs with box cameras. This is a very simple style of camera that was very popular in the decades leading up to World War II. Um. I've got an article on the festung.net website about the box cameras that I use and how I do photos with them. But that kind of all started with a trip to an antique store. I went to an antique store in Vermont, and I saw a really cool-looking box camera on a shelf. And I picked it up, and it was made in Germany, and it was marked DRP for Deutsches Reichspatent. So, uh, you know, a Reich-era object. And I thought, oh wow, this is really cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy this. And it was inexpensive. It was probably twenty dollars. And I learned how to use that camera. And that's what really got me started with film photography. It wasn't like I went into that antique store looking for a camera. Um, I I went in there not knowing what I was going to find, and I happened to find a camera, and it basically started a uh, fun hobby where I eventually spent thousands and thousands of dollars (laughs) and got over 100 box cameras and got all of these uh, stuff to develop it and just filled my house with all kinds of junk. Well,
1: bud, got to have stuff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, You know, I think sometimes about, like, my my greatest hits at antique stores. Um, I got a a mica kit, which is a, a little aluminum box that is sort of sized to fit exactly into an interwar paramilitary type mess kit that was used by the various civil political uh, paramilitary and to some extent by military organizations during the Third Reich. Anyway, this mica kit is this little aluminum box and it has uh, it has inside compartments for... Uh, Shoe polish, shoe brushes, clothing brushes, um, you know, a a place to put a shaving mirror and a razor and toothpaste basically like it's your little like hygiene and clothing and equipment maintenance kit and this is a very valuable collectible item um they sell for hundreds of dollars they these things could have been bought by anybody during uh the time that they were made before world war ii but they were definitely marketed towards soldiers and so people who collect world war ii personal items do go for these things and i found one in an antique store that was um it was marked "old shoe shine kit" twenty five dollars. Incredible, dude. yeah, it was incredible, just a, just a great deal. You
1: know? they are oddly uh, sought after by reenactors in particular. I feel like it's uh, something about the design, the functionality. You know, the fact that it goes in a mess tin is, like, attractive to the reenactor customer. And so I know some people who, like, slake over these things. And so $25,
0: it's incredible. Yeah, I don't use it for reenacting. It's like a collection item for me. These things are sort of too valuable uh, for me to think about running around in a, in a rainstorm and, and using it in the mud. You yeah, know I, I mean? would not
1: recommend using one either. I just, I, I feel like, I feel like I knew some people who, like, may have used them in reenacting settings in, like, the 1990s or 2000s, but uh I I would no longer recommend using one of these things in the field unless it was like you in, unless it was just like maybe the shell that you'd like bought all new components for but even then you know
0: sure uh, when I go to antique stores I am always looking at like linens I'm looking at um, bed linens mm. and I'm especially looking at sort of like the napkin area that usually exists in an antique store. People, I think, often just kind of walk by this sort of old lady antiques in the linens area, but I think they're really missing out on some great stuff. If you can get some really nice uh, linen Like kitchen towel, hand towel stuff, those are absolutely ideal for
1: reenactment use. That's a really good idea.
0: You can also, if you look at the the bed linens, you can get some vintage linens that maybe would be really great if you were doing a barracks event. Um, But you also might find stuff that you can just use the material for other projects there. Yeah, Um, good idea. Because like linen, if you get uh, high quality linen at a fabric store, it can be very expensive, but you can sometimes find... Large quantities of this stuff, sort of in the form of old tablecloths or bedspreads or whatever, for relatively, you know, for for very low prices. In some cases, at antique stores. Just a note here. I mean, some of the stuff
1: I've seen at, at antique stores, uh, you know, typewriters, lamps, etc. It is, it it is shockingly cheap, uh, given you know what it would what what it would have cost new. Would that cost adjusted for inflation. You know, I mean, Chris, weren't you saying that uh, that, 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 that an office typewriter back in the day would cost like $2,000 adjusted for inflation?
0: Yeah, these things were very expensive. You know, the prices, uh, it was like a significant percentage of the price of a new car. Sure. Cases. An inexpensive portable typewriter from the 1930s cost the equivalent of $1,000 U S in today's money. Sure.
1: It's like a laptop, you know. It's like, sure. a, l- like a laptop.
0: Um. And, you know, that's true with all of this stuff, really. I mean, uh, clothing, textiles, these things were very expensive in the past, inexpensive today. You can get stuff today that is old, that was uh, very expensive to make, that now you can get it for just a very cheap price.
1: Totally. Chris, have you ever had any success buying clothes at antique shops, you know, like jackets or whatever?
0: No, I am uh, am like a tall guy with broad shoulders, and I'm just... uh, Huge, uh, great big fat person, too. So, uh, for me, it's unlikely that I would find clothing in my size that I could wear. Another thing is that uh, actual clothing from the 1930s, in my experience, is fragile today. Yeah. I I probably wouldn't use real vintage clothing, certainly not in like a reenactment setting, just based on how hard reenactments are on the stuff that we use. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's reasonable. Um, yeah, so i'm like not really looking for stuff like that I'm, I'm more looking like you say for for personal items um but look what you know talking about how inexpensive this stuff can be um it, on a good day if you're shrewd about it you can go into a reenactment you can go into an antique store and walk out with stuff that you can sell for you know sometimes a, a huge Profit, right? Like, I'm not really advocating here for the sort of flipper mindset, but look, let's face it, if you can buy something for $5 that you can sell for $40 the same day, I mean, you're almost stupid just to leave it where it is, right? Sure, totally. You know, I, I'll, I've gone into antique stores and bought stuff like old um, aluminum mugs that were marketed towards campers. Um, those are those can be very attractive, desirable items for reenactment use. And you might be able to find something like that for a dollar or two.
1: Sure. Totally. Also, um, you know, this is somewhat ancillary to, uh, reenactment stuff, but, uh, I, I've, I've come to greatly enjoy using typewriters. I sometimes will correspond with friends using, uh, You know, postcards, and uh, you can really buy a lot of antique postcards at antique shops for much cheaper than, you know, newly printed ones, and uh,
0: I will buy those, and I will, you know, type on them, and I will send them through the mail. Look, a lot of times I used to just totally ignore the postcards. But at other times, I've taken the time, especially when the postcards are organized by country, if they have a Germany section, mm. I'll go through there. And it's shocking how many Third Reich postcards made it to the United States, whether used or unused. And you can buy these things for a dollar or two. And even if you don't use the original Third Reich postcard. You could certainly s- reproduce it. You know, it's not hard to uh, scan, scan it, clean it up, and have it printed or print it yourself, and and you can use that stuff.
1: Sure. I mean, I feel like you've you've done a number of projects over the years, uh, Chris, where you've borrowed the artwork from vintage postcards. I mean, some of them have really cool designs.
0: I I love collecting them. Uh, you can learn a lot about the time from looking at them. Um, but yeah, I've, I've reproduced them, printed them out. I mean, the, you, just some, uh, that's good. Like I have used stuff like that to fill out a map case. I've found ephemera that I could reproduce and stick in the back of my sold book that I carry around or keep in my wallet. And just like, you know, we mentioned office stuff, but um, that's another category of stuff where you can certainly make some money there. If you can buy like a, an inkwell and, and some old pens and maybe some old paper or a letter stand or a pen holder or whatever and, and put together a little set of things that might be appealing for someone doing a barracks impression or putting together – a A writing desk or an officer's desk that that's like something that people will will happily pay for and you you know it can be quite a bit more than what the individual components might have cost you to collect buying them cheap at the antique store
1: sure totally the thing too is i think chris you and i were talking about this recently uh this is maybe less utilitarian for you know actual reenactments that you might go to, but just in terms of like furnishing your house, if you want to set up a cool writing desk you know or display, you can get some awesome antique furniture uh, at uh, antique shops.
0: Sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've actually found some furniture at antique shops that I do that I would bring to a reenactment if I was going to be doing like a, the headquarters or office thing that we sometimes do.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And it's shocking sometimes how inexpensive that stuff can be because there just isn't a huge demand for old brown wood furniture. And so you can get this stuff for, for very cheap prices. I
1: love it. I love it. Also uh, glass bottles. I feel like you can get some awesome vintage glass bottles at uh, a at reenactment for set dressing or repackaging, you know, water. Um, yeah,
0: you can get the swing top bottles. Yeah. You can find German bottles, too, yeah. you know, if, if you look through glass bottles. Yeah, I think that's another area that people would just walk by but might be missing some, sure. some cool stuff in the antique store. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's definitely something, something to think about. Well, let's talk about antique stores in general, you know, because they're really not all created equally.
1: Yeah, I mean, Chris, you were, you were saying you, you, there's a specific, uh, you had some criteria.
0: Well, f- first of all, just, you know, I, I just have to say at the outset, I'm I'm talking here about antique stores in the USA. I know we have a lot of international listeners, and, you know, if you're listening to this in Europe, especially in, like, continental Europe, I mean, you're, what you could find at an antique store is going to absolutely blow out of the water what, what I'm likely to find here in the USA. Yeah. Um, so, you know, look. Here in the USA, where I live, there's a lot of different antique stores, a lot of different kinds of antique stores. There's a lot of different settings. Um, I have found a lot of stuff in um, antique stores that are in cities. I found a lot of stuff that's in antique stores and suburbs. And I found a lot of stuff that is in antique shops in rural areas as well. So it's not like there's any particular area where I feel like I'm more or, or less likely to find something. All of these things have their advantages and disadvantages. So...
1: Here, at least in America, I feel like there is a distinction between a thrift shop and an antique shop, but sometimes, you know, they might be advertised incorrectly, if you will.
0: Well, look, there's uh, these these lines between what is a thrift shop, what is an antique shop, what is a secondhand shop or a junk store, or, you know, these are kind of arbitrarily used. So, um, look, if something, if I'm looking at antiques... I mean this I'll just share kind of my own personal strategy. If I'm driving by an old house and they have a little barn next to the house or part of the house that has a an antique sign out in in the window or whatever at a an antique sign open flag flying, right? I pretty much just drive by that stuff. Usually those are like a single proprietor, and maybe I'm snoozing on some valuable stuff, but I don't know. I just feel like those places, in my experience, I don't, I've don't. i been to a lot of those places. I used to go to a lot of places like that. I never really found anything in any of those places. Um, and in fact, when I would walk in there, sometimes it would be like a female proprietor and she's like, okay, well, are you looking for anything specific? And I'd say, well, you know, I collect uh, old razors and office stuff. I collect old military stuff. And then, like, I remember one time, like, a woman rolled her eyes and she's like, well, we don't really have like mantiques here. And I was like, okay, great. Well, I'll just never come back here again as long as I live.
1: Mantique store. Very good.
0: You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, um, on the other hand, if I'm driving by a place. That is like an antiques mall that is a multi-dealer antique shop with booths. And I've got the time. I'm going to be stopping there 100%.
1: Yeah. Antique malls are awesome.
0: You know, there could be, uh, I mean, antique malls exist on a scale too, right? You can go into some and it's just booth after booth of junk or DVDs, modern stuff, crafts, you know, lotion, uh, crystals or whatever, but when an antique store is like really good, it's really, really good. Sometimes there are even dealers in there who specialize in the type of stuff that I'm looking for. maybe even who specifically specialize in World War II items. Yeah and you never know what you're gonna find at a place like that. Sure, man. Sure. The the worst is when I walk into a place that seems promising. These this is usually this usually happens like in a city. Um, there'll be an antique store, and I'll walk in there, and I'm suddenly confronted with extremely ornate, gorgeous furniture, um, obviously high end artwork. Uh, uh, painted can oil paintings on canvas and ornate frames and stuff i just i see that stuff and i immediately turn around and walk thousands out. of dollars right yeah, you know, i'm in the wrong like- place They are not going to have a linen handkerchief that I can buy for 50 cents. You know what I mean? They're not going to have an old notebook I can cannibalize. They're not going to have anything that I want or need. Um, And if they have anything, I mean, they they have stuff I'd like to have, but they're not going to have stuff that's in my budget. They're not going to have stuff I'm going to use for reenacting. So I am out of there.
1: They know what they got, and you probably are not their preferred clientele, you know?
0: Then, like another category of place that I really hate is when something is billing itself as an antique store And then you go in there, and it's basically like a thrift store sort of a thing where you'd be hard-pressed to find anything made before 1980. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, like I say, with with the DVDs and and a bunch of books and some racks of uh, dusty nylon windbreakers and some old uh, dingy coffee machines and dishes and stuff. I hate that kind of place. Yeah, that sucks, man. That sucks. And then there's actually like a subcategory of that. And usually you'll find these in sort of urban areas, often in like kind of the bad part of town or like a low income area where you'll go into a place and everything is super cheap. But it is like legitimately trash, you know, like uh, like kind of like malformed chipboard bookcases that you can buy for 5 bucks and like you know uh, plastic children's playhouses that someone had out in a yard for 10 years you know it sucks man um but you know there's 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 all kinds of places in between you know sometimes i've i've just out of curiosity ducked into like a real hole in the wall in like a suburb, maybe in like the downtown of a suburban town. And you just go into this cramped little space. And if you're willing to dig and kind of rummage, you could find unbelievable treasures in places like that.
1: Do you want to spare a thought for
0: Facebook Marketplace or hell, even like roadside freebie finds? Well, uh, look, I am a hoarder, and I will accumulate mass wherever I can get it. I'm looking at flea markets. I'm looking at yard sales always. I'm looking at, uh, yeah, piles of trash on the side of the road. You know, if someone has dumped debris down into a ravine in the forest, <laughs> you know, I'm maybe down in there. Um, I actually, I use at home some uh I mean, this is maybe a little embarrassing to admit, but I have like glasses, drinking glasses and stuff that I have found on riverbanks, you know, that I use. That's cool. Yeah, I have like a an old shaving mug that I found in the remains of an old dump. So even some of the forks that I have um, were like, you know, antique finds that were in the ground for decades what like. i love
1: are the spoons you use that you got from that field which was a dump from a former mental asylum
0: and they said department of mental health on yeah it. i got some silverware from the insane asylum that i found on the ground but that's kind of like <laughs> you know that that could almost be a topic for another episode sure, it's just sure. like weird places to find stuff i mean um,
1: one anecdote but uh, i remember i was i was looking for you know stuff to have a bonfire with, and uh, I see an old table by the side of the road, and I stop, and I go to put it in my car, and it weighs so much, and I'm like, why is this thing so heavy? And then I realize that it's actually a sewing machine table, and the top, like, flips up to reveal a 1948 dated or serial numbered Singer sewing machine. And so I ended up giving this thing to Chris, and this kind of kick-started Chris's, like, sewing machine binge. And then later, you know, he accumulated so many sewing machines that he gave this one, this original one, back to me, which was just really funny.
0: <laughs> well, it's embarrassing for me, Ben, to have all these empty rooms. So being able to fill them with sewing machines makes me feel a little better, you know?
1: Yeah, you know, you got to fill up the mansion somehow. Yeah. Um,
0: you know... Th- I, one thing that I really like about antique stores um, is when they have prices listed. It can be really daunting when there's no price listed on anything and you feel like the the dealer is kind of sizing you up and sort of trying to figure out how excited you are about any given thing. And then they're, you know, maybe he'll say, okay, well, that's $10. But if you buy other stuff, you know, the price will go down. So now you're digging through heaps of trash, hoping to find something else that might be uh, of interest to you so that you could get, you know, a bundle deal. I mean, it's... That sucks. But I mean, I I did have a positive interaction of recent where I like
1: found this cool brass candle sconce I wanted to put in my house, but it didn't It had no price tag on it. And uh, so I go down and I say, hey, this thing had no price on it. And the guy's just like, well, tell me what you think it's worth. And I'm like, I don't know, 25 bucks. And he's like, sold. Uh, it's yours for 25 bucks and i like have said cool. five bucks I should have said five dollars um, yeah I don't that's know that tell
0: me what it's worth thing is like a big turnoff for me mm. you know and it, it can end positively but
1: I, I I don't know he was he was friendly you know he didn't seem like he was being a jerk about it so that's going
0: to antique stores is like it can be its own sub hobby yeah you know, it has been for me sort of in my life like um in the 90s when I was in high school in like a pre smartphone era I used to just get in the car and drive to just kind of drive in in random directions on sort of small, like local state highways and byways and go to whatever town. And almost every town has some kind of an antique shop or thrift store or something in there with secondhand goods. And I found a lot of really, really cool stuff doing that. Sometimes they're in cool places, too. Like there is an antique shop, uh,
1: a town over from me, which is in a mill that apparently made uniforms uh, during the Civil War for the Union Army. And was owned by you know President Taft's family, which I thought was really cool.
0: I have like a little anecdote that's kind of related to a collectible item, where uh, I went to went into an antique store, and for reasons that I I can't fathom at all, um, they had a very very valuable early S.A. dagger that was priced at less than $100. It was not in very good condition, but the Maker was a rare one, and it was a desirable, high-quality, early 1930s piece before they instituted the RZM controls for the Daggers. And I still have it. I I certainly had to buy it with, with the less than $100 price. I mean, this thing is worth several hundred dollars, even in the kind of rough condition that it's in. And so I... I told the people at the counter that I wanted to purchase it and they brought it up there. And then they're kind of like having a conversation amongst themselves being like, oh, my God, you know, I I hate this Nazi stuff. You know, this is disgusting. Like, I I hate this this like Nazi stuff. And I'm just like, hey, guys, like I'm right here. You know, I can hear you. Like, could you just do your job and give me the thing and run my card? You know what I mean? Like. Um meanwhile they can scoff all they want but if I'm buying an object that's uh, at least a $500 object for less than $100 it's like Who's laughing? For yeah frankly you can call me all the names you want if you're willing to sell me an early SA dagger for less than 100 bucks <laughs> you know you can call me a piece of shit call me whatever you want Who's laughing now? Um <laughs> Yeah. They, uh, sometimes I can feel a little self-conscious when I'm buying original World War II German memorabilia at the antique store. But really, I just I remind myself like um, these people can have whatever moral objection to the stuff that they want. I mean, they are selling it. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, that's fair. You're the guy making money off of it, supposedly. right? Yeah. It's like, leave me alone.
1: Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree with that.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, looking forward for me, stuff that I I still hope to find at an antique store. You know, I'm I'm always hoping to find a better uh, frying pan, like what I mentioned earlier. Um, I would love to find um, like a World War II or pre-war German typewriter at an antique store at like a cheap price. I know many people have had luck with this. I never have. Um, You never know what you're going to find, though. When you walk through those doors, you never know what's going to be on the other side.
1: Me, helmets, restorable helmets, you know, for cheap prices. Always looking for that stuff. I mean, of late, I've been really into antique lamps with uh, glass shades. Um, I have filled my house with them as well, uh, which is just kind of funny. But I think they're beautiful. And yeah, so got to have stuff. There's so many various reasons and different integral parts that kind of keep a unit together and keep it running for inching up toward
0: 50 years here as a as a unit. So to be be able to say that you've been around for for this amount of time, it it's it's quite impressive.
1: To get that full immersion in 3,000 meters, uh, it snowed on us. It was frost at night, sleeping in s- under cell ponds. Yeah, it was a great experience being on, on that location, being in the Alps, uh, wearing the uniform, and being with like-minded guys. Hey, it's, uh real pleasure to be here as a, as a long time listener and someone whose long drives to reenactments are uh, filled with the sounds of the reenactors corner podcast it's a bit of a fanboy moment all
0: right so um just sort of in closing did want to say thank you to all of the people who support us via patreon really appreciate it very much without your support we wouldn't be able to keep doing this
1: Yes, thank you again to our wonderful Patreon supporters.
0: All you guys keep an eye on your mailbox because we are sending out the Reenactors Corner 2022 Christmas card to all the Patreon supporters. So, uh, you know, I hope that you get it. I hope you guys have a great uh, holiday season. Indeed so. All right, Chris. Okay, Ben. And to everybody else out there, I will see you in the field. See you in the field. We love hearing your thoughts on the podcast, so why not sign up to The Reenactor's Corner on Discord? You'll find a link in the show notes that accompany this episode. And while you're there, perhaps have a think about supporting us via Patreon.
1: Your regular donations, no matter how big or small, really count and help keep us on the air.
0: Thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retro Man, for editing the podcast. And we hope that you'll join us here again soon for the next episode of The Reenactor's Corner.